You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. Health officials are cautiously optimistic tonight about the provincial model for COVID-19 in our province, but they also warn we're at a delicate point right now. A critical couple of weeks ahead. More on that in a moment, but first to look at the latest numbers. BC has 67 new cases of COVID-19 for a total now of 792. And sadly, we've lost two more people to the infection, both of them from care homes. Now, two big questions have been on the minds of many British Columbians. How does our situation compare to other countries around the world? And are we doing enough? Dr. Bonnie Henry providing some of those answers today with a look at the worst and best case scenarios so far. And the first indications we're starting to flatten the curve. John Waugh reports. From countries that were able to flatten the curve to the worst case scenarios being seen around the world. British Columbia is planning for every possibility in its response to the COVID-19 pandemic. While we are absolutely determined to have the best results, we are preparing for the worst possible scenario. Right now, the BC's current place on the curve of reported COVID-19 cases providing some reason to be cautiously optimistic. I'm starting to see some, some uh, glimmers of hope, if we will, that we've flattened out we, our increase, our trajectory has, has leveled off a bit. While the province was projecting a steep climb with a 24% daily hike in COVID-19 cases, the latest number reported only representing a 12% increase. The direct result of travel restrictions and enforced social distancing. I can't say it is working yet. It may be working and it is incredibly important. And the modelers have shown us that if we do this right, it is what is going to save us. But relying on that hope doesn't mean our healthcare resources mustn't be ready. Plans for hospital capacity being based on what's going on in other countries. We are planning for various scenarios to deal with uh, the coming weeks and potentially months. In a South Korea model, BC should be covered using intensive care units at its 17 major hospitals. If the situation ramps up to a Hubei, China scenario, extra capacity will come from high acuity units and cardiac and coronary care and post-anesthesia recovery beds. If this province finds itself facing hospitalization levels like in northern Italy, intensive care units from all remaining hospitals will be needed to deal with COVID-19 cases. What I, I lie awake at night worrying about is that line is going to start to dramatically increase again. And that's what's going to happen if we let things off too quickly. While BC's current place on the curve might feel promising, the margin between modeling for South Korea and managing a Northern Italy scenario is razor thin. John Hua, Global News. All right, we'll bring in Keith Baldry right now for more on this. Keith, obviously some good news today, although it's a lot of mm -hmm. very cautious optimism. And mm -hmm. also you have some information about an interesting development about a drug that U.S. President Donald Trump has been talking a lot about lately. Yeah, this is a bit of an odd one. So the drug is hydroxychloroquine. It's an anti-malarial drug. There's no cure for COVID-19 that's been discovered. We're working on a vaccine. But Donald Trump and a couple others are boosting, boasting about different drugs. And that's the one he's been pushing. He's been denounced by scientists for it. In fact, uh, BC's College of Physicians and, of, and Doctors and also College of Pharmacists and of Nurses has sent a letter out saying do not use this drug 
with one exception, if there's a, a part of a clinical trial. And guess what? That's exactly what's happening of all places. The Lynn Valley Care Home, which has had such a huge outbreak there, patients there are being administered this drug as part of a clinical trial. It's an international clinical trial, so it's going on in all sorts of countries. And we caught up with the daughter of someone who's there who at first didn't think this was a good idea, but here's her take on it. As a family, we had the, the right to to deny the treatment, which is the hydroxychloroquine, and we, we said, yes, let's try it. So every day is a new day. So not entirely clear what the outcome of that clinical trial is going to be, but it's fascinating to find out that it's something Donald Trump was pushing and scientists were pushing back hard against him is now being administered in one of our care homes as the center point of this outbreak in B.C. Well, let's hope we get some answers from the study, too. All right. Thanks very much, Keith. All right. Well, dozens of Canadians are finally out of Peru and heading back to Canada. The last repatriation flight left Lima for Toronto today. The Air Canada plane was a welcome sight for hundreds of Canadians trapped there for days since Peru went into a nationwide lockdown. A team of volunteer flight attendants welcomed the Canadians on board. On that flight are a dozen high school students from Vancouver College along with their chaperones. Also a couple from Chilliwack who got a seat at the last minute. Really joyous. Everybody's, yeah. everybody's incredible. All of Peru has been incredible. All the experience. You know, um, and, right? and all the Canadians on the, uh, the bus are really excited. Yeah. Right? <laughs> yeah, she's saying yeah. Well, the flight is scheduled to arrive in Toronto at 7.15 local time. Their flight to Vancouver will arrive uh, tomorrow afternoon. All right. In a surprise move to cushion the economic shock of the COVID-19 crisis, the Bank of Canada has once again slashed its key interest rate. That's been a cut or that's been cut half a percentage point to just a quarter percent, about as low as it can realistically go. It's an unprecedented move. But what does it mean for you? Business analyst Michael Campbell explains. Well, the Bank of Canada, they had to cut rates. I mean, they're still trying to spur on the economy. But the key is whether lending institutions will actually follow through. Keep in mind, the Bank of Canada can lower rates, but it doesn't force, uh, whether it's uh, one of our big six banks or a credit union or what have you, to actually lower their rates. In fact, we haven't seen the past rate cuts completely passed on to consumers. So that's the big question. Well, the key is, can we bridge this uh, gap created by the novel coronavirus? I mean, is it going to be three months? Is it going to be six? Well, the goal, and you talk to any economist, they're going to say the goal is to get to that other side and able to recover quickly. So one of the things the government addressed today was people are getting laid off. I mean, what a surprise when you've closed down the entire restaurant industry, for example, in British Columbia, other than takeout. Well, you've got a lot of people who are going to be unemployed on that. You've got other small businesses and mid-sized businesses and large businesses laying off people. So what their goal is, is to make it less uh, or make it more attractive to keep those people on. So they promise, for example, a 75 percent wage subsidy. I mean, the details will be forthcoming. But again, I think that's their attempt to say, hey, hold on to those workers. That way, when we bridge over the problems with COVID-19, we'll be able to recover much faster. Well, small and medium-sized businesses, as Michael just explained, were offered a potential lifeline by the federal government today. The prime minister announcing a sweeping new aid package to subsidize the wages of employees so those businesses hopefully can remain open 
or allow them to reopen faster. Brad McLeod has more of the details, including the response from the business community. I want to speak directly to small businesses and entrepreneurs. Don't lay off and hire back. That's the hope of Prime Minister Trudeau after offering to pay 75% of employee salaries. For small storefront businesses, they're struggling with cash flow right now. Also new, the Canada Emergency Business Account, offering $40,000 interest-free loans. You must have a payroll of 50 to a million dollars, and if you pay it back quick, you can keep 10. The Greater Vancouver Board of Trade says this will ease anxiety. About how many small businesses would be able to pay rent or pay lease payments. The parliamentary budget officer predicting unemployment could hit 15% in Canada. BC economy could shrink by as much as 7.3%. More than twice as large as what we experienced during the financial crisis. This meal delivery business is doing everything it can to stay open, safe, and keep employees. Last week, the Fed said they would cover a smaller fraction of employee salaries. Now when I hear there's 75%, I think that's worth listening to. This business prof says these aren't solutions, but band-aids. There are a lot of businesses that won't be able to use this. You know, you still got no revenue coming in. You might still have uh, a huge amount of fixed cost to pay, and you still won't be able to pay them. So, you know, keeping your employees won't help you at all. We will defer GST and HST payments until June. But at some point, deferrals and loans must be paid. It may get you to the other side of this uh, difficult time, only to find out that you can't afford to keep going because you have a larger bill. At the moment, we're all thinking, can we just get through this? Can we survive? Yes, there are long-term implications, but if we can survive the next few months, then uh, you know we can get back into it and the economy can thrive again. Brad McLeod, Global News. Every day, more and more Canadians are finding themselves laid off as businesses across the country shut down due to the COVID-19 pandemic. But this crisis has also fueled a demand for workers in sectors considered an essential service. Nadia Stewart reports on who's actually hiring right now. The team at Spud, a Vancouver-based organic grocery delivery service, is in overdrive, trying to keep up with demand. They're trying to meet the surge of online orders, only to encounter a surge in the number of people responding to their employment ads. We've seen at least 5,000 people apply for jobs online. Under normal circumstances, applications would taper off at about 100. People want to work, and we're seeing jobs not only just in the warehouse and in the delivery side, but we're also seeing jobs in the tech side change. So we're seeing it change, and, and it's a minute-by-minute minute basis, right? Amidst thousands of layoffs, the COVID-19 pandemic is creating pockets of demand. In the health sector, Minister Adrian Dix says over two dozen retired doctors and 248 retired nurses are re-registering to return to the front line. As for food retailers, online shopping used to be about convenience, now it's about necessity. And the demand is creating an employment opportunity for drivers and warehouse personnel. Even major retailers such as Sobeys are hiring en masse right now. The same goes for Walmart. 9% of Canadians who have never bought food online are now buying online uh, since the start of the outbreak. Agri-food expert Sylvain Charlebois says most retailers were not ready for this scenario. You need to run a separate channel in parallel to your bricks and mortar strategy. But a lot of grocers aren't set up for that. 
And, and that's why infrastructure is being built right now. Here's, let's go wash our hands. Spud ramping up means two new warehouses coming online in just a matter of days. And five additional companies helping with deliveries as they sift through a mountain of orders and job applications. Nadia Stark, Global News. A Vancouver Tim Hortons is in double-double trouble with Vancouver City bylaw inspectors. This Tim's location at 108 West Pender Street had its business license suspended after being found in violation of the province's emergency health rules. City inspectors visited the site four times and issued several warnings. The three-day suspension was finally the result of what's being called gross misconduct with too many people found inside the restaurant and failure to comply with takeout and delivery service regulations. The City of Vancouver says its inspectors have visited more than 5,800 restaurants and 1,000 personal care facilities since the new rules went into effect March 20th. Well, the B.C. government's shifting criteria for testing is prompting safety concerns as more people are released from hospital. Tonight, an 87-year-old Coquitlam man remains in Abbotsford Hospital, where he's been undergoing care for COVID-19. Now the hospital wants to discharge him. And as Catherine Urquhart reports, they refuse to retest him to confirm that he's negative. Two weeks ago, 87-year-old Ralph Danbert was diagnosed with COVID-19 and pneumonia. He nearly died. They had indicated that the pneumonia was, was worse and uh, to the extent where they were asking us to, you know, uh, make arrangements. Now Abbotsford Hospital says the senior has improved and they want to discharge him. Problem is, they refuse to test him to confirm he's COVID negative and say he should remain in isolation. Initially, we were told that he would have to undergo uh, two negative tests before being discharged from the hospital. And now they're saying that uh, we don't do any testing prior to discharging somebody from the hospital. When we feel that the virus has run its course, we will send, we will send them home. Without that negative test, Johnson fears for his mother's safety, she's immune compromised and no care homes will accept the senior unless there's evidence he's clear of the virus. Ten days after onset, people that don't have a very severe disease will clear it within a, few, a number of days, and that's why we're using that criteria. As more patients with COVID-19 are treated and released from hospital, Michael Johnson fears others could face a similar predicament. Right now, he's essentially coming out of the hospital with a healthcare version of a scarlet letter where he can't go anywhere because he's had a COVID positive test and get any kind of health care. And we can't take care of him because he hasn't been declared to be COVID negative. So it's, it's tremendously frustrating. Catherine Urquhart, Global News. Under the present state of emergency, the provincial government has taken control of everything from hospital beds to bylaw officers to the grocery store supply chain. But with school due to start up again next week, individual school districts are on their own to figure out how learning from home is supposed to work. Richard Zussman reports. On Monday, schools return in B.C. Sort of. Schools will be open, but there will be no in-class instruction. It's important that parents not take their kids to a school site on Monday. 
but our message is that uh, essential frontline healthcare workers and others um, needed in the fight against uh, COVID-19 uh, should contact uh, uh, principals uh, of their schools. The province won't step in and order schools to do things a certain way. That's being left up to the districts. Our planning is taking place right now a week at a time. So next week, really, it is about communicating and it is about connecting with our families and really surfacing what some of the needs are and how we can best meet them. Principals and some administrators will be in school on Monday. This is the province rolls out a brand new website called the Keep Learning Tool, something government is asking parents and guardians to help with at home. It's going to involve uh, parents, I think, collaborating with teachers bringing some kind of structure to their child's day while they remain uh, largely indoors. All of these decisions being made following the BC Teachers Federation reaching a new contract with the province late Thursday. Separate from the deal is an agreement teachers will get paid for the rest of the year, even if there are no in-school classes. The school system will be functioning. It's going to function differently, as I've mentioned, but uh, people will be doing their jobs. They'll be doing them differently. Vulnerable students remain one of the biggest concerns. The Learning Disability Society launching a one-on-one -on -one tool for home instruction starting on Monday. Consistent learning and routine are especially critical for students who are challenged with learning disabilities. So we are finding that it is critical to be able to offer ongoing uh, continuity of education. The school district's also working on home food delivery for kids normally counting on the school system for a meal. Just one sign of a total rethink of an education system so many rely on. Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria. In the meantime, another sign tonight of the potential difficulties with the government's crackdown on people reselling medical supplies for profit during this pandemic. As Grace Key reports, you don't have to look far to find literally hundreds of online listings selling masks and other equipment at a major markup. It's not difficult to find a slew of personal protective equipment for resale. Some listings we found showed boxes and boxes of N95 masks. Uh, we contacted one Richmond man and asked him how many masks he had. He asked us, how many do you want? He was selling 20 masks for $150. He said he placed an order from China and some friends shipped him masks as well. He was nervous that our caller ID was blocked. We are prohibiting the resale of food, medical supplies, personal protective equipment, cleaning and other essential supplies. On Thursday, Public Safety Minister Mike Farnworth announced a resale ban on essential products during the COVID-19 pandemic. Enforcement will be up to municipalities. The police will have the powers uh, uh, that they have uh, to be able uh, to uh, to to not only to do investigations, but to press charges and to lay charges. Uh, and people engaged in that, uh, that kind of activity, of which there's no place for, can expect to be prosecuted to the fullest extent of the law. We reached out to several municipalities. Many will be working with local police and bylaw officers to enforce the new ban. Some are assessing the need and will be working off direct public complaints. As for the Richmond reseller, he said he felt he was doing the public a favor because he was selling extra masks that he owned. Grace Key, Global News.
The huge demand for toilet paper and the irrational need to stock up on it quickly has become one of the iconic images of the coronavirus crisis. Now, one of the country's largest producers of white gold says they will say they will do everything they can to keep the supply rolling. Kruger Products operates this mill in New Westminster and seven others across Canada and the U.S. The company says it's ramped up the intake of raw materials and the production of toilet paper tissues and paper towel. Kruger also says it has been designated as an essential service, so it will keep production levels up as this crisis continues. Surrey firefighters are investigating an early morning deadly house fire. A resident in the upper floor suite in the 11100 block of 158th Street called 911 just after 6 this morning. Crews arrived to find heavy smoke coming from the basement suite. One person died at the scene. The fire department says the fire was confined to a single room in the basement. The cause is under investigation. The long legal nightmare is finally over tonight for a Vancouver family who've been put through the ringer by the justice system after losing their father. Dr. Alphonsus Huey was killed in a crash caused by a dangerous driver. That driver was acquitted at first, but Dr. Huey's family fought on and eventually won. Ramina Dea reports, with a warning, some of the video could be disturbing for some viewers. Victory, finally, from the highest court in the country. Relief. In a four-to-one decision, the Supreme Court of Canada is upholding the conviction of Ken Chung, imposed by the B.C. Court of Appeal, meaning Chung will be sentenced in connection to the death of Monique Huey's father, Dr. Alphonsus Huey. He is guilty, and he is going to jail. For how long, we don't know, but he doesn't get to walk away, and this should be an example to everybody out there. Pay attention to the right side of your screen as Chung's silver Audi enters the intersection. Chung was doing 140 kilometers an hour in a 50 zone before entering the intersection and smashing into Huey's vehicle. Chung was acquitted of dangerous driving causing death. Judge Rideout ruling Chung's actions amounted to a momentary lapse in judgment. The decision overturned by the BC Court of Appeal, which handed down a conviction, prompting Chung to take his case to the Supreme Court of Canada, where he ultimately lost. The High Court ruling a reasonable person would have foreseen the immediate risk of reaching a speed of almost three times the speed limit. I think this shows a really strong message from the Supreme Court of Canada about this type of driving behaviour and about the obligations that drivers have to other people on the roadway. The Huey case sparked public outrage. More than 100,000 people signed a petition calling for stiffer penalties for dangerous drivers. No new trial. The case now proceeds to sentencing. The community can make a difference. Those voices ultimately were heard by the highest court in Canada. Romina Dea, Global News. I've developed mild symptoms of the coronavirus, that's to say a temperature and a a persistent cough. And on the advice of the chief medical officer, I've taken a test that has come out 
positive. So I am working from home. I'm self-isolating. And that's entirely the right thing. British Prime Minister Boris Johnson has tested positive for COVID-19. The Prime Minister revealed his diagnosis in this video posted to Twitter. Johnson was last seen in public last night as he cheered on healthcare staff as part of a nationwide gesture of thanks. His diagnosis comes just days after Prince Charles also tested positive for the virus. To the United States now, where the country has now surpassed 100,000 reported cases of COVID-19, with the majority of patients so far at least located in New York State. But for the last few days, new hotspots have been appearing across the U.S. Midwest. Global's Reggie Cicchini has more. The situation is spiraling out of control in New York State. This is going to be weeks and weeks and weeks. More than 35,000 cases reported, with a peak possibly as far out as three weeks. This is a moment that is going to change this nation. Field hospitals are being prepared in New York City, while mobile morgues are being set up in hospital parking lots. There's also a new battle for the frontline workers in New York. More than 200 firefighters have tested positive, while the New York Police Department is seeing an 11% sick rate. In New Jersey, some healthcare workers have to go underground to protect themselves. You don't get any names. You get just, you know, phone numbers to text. You show up to what looks like an abandoned warehouse. Meanwhile, President Trump downplayed the urgent requests for ventilators on Thursday. I have a feeling that uh, a lot of the numbers that are being said in some areas are just bigger than they're going to be. I don't believe you need 40,000 or 30,000 ventilators. Trump then did an about-face on Friday, using a wartime act to have GM start producing them. Within the next 100 days, we will either make or get, in some form, over 100,000 additional units. And I guess to put it in other words, in the next 100 days, we'll receive over three times the number of ventilators made during a regular year in the United States. Thousands of ventilators have moved into New York, but Michigan appears to be a growing hotspot. Michigan is currently ranked fifth in the nation with confirmed cases of COVID-19. President Trump says he may not provide disaster aid for states whose governors have been critical of his administration, including Michigan. But on Friday, he signed a $2 trillion relief package that will provide some funding for struggling health care systems. Reggie Chikini, Global News, Washington. With the growing pressure on BC's doctors, nurses, and other healthcare workers during this COVID-19 outbreak, a former high-level health official is calling for drastic action. The former chief health officer of Vancouver Coastal Health says the government should be allowing qualified international healthcare workers who right now are shut out of the system to help. Linda Aylesworth reports. Was when we announced travel the job of the provincial health officer right now is an unenviable one. I'm glad I'm not having to, to deal with this one because it's the worst I've seen. I mean, we've never had anything like this. That from Vancouver's former chief medical health officer, Dr. John Blatherwick. For 27 years, he sat at the helm, taking us through another coronavirus outbreak in 2003, the SARS pandemic. The one thing that we can tell the public is you do need to wash your hands a little bit more. BC got off easy during SARS, but COVID-19 is shaping up to be very different, and a shortage of healthcare workers is a real possibility. Well, you plan for the worst-case scenario. So that was the time for us to consider the foreign-trained graduates that we have in our community. We have an army of physicians 
who could help greatly. He's talking about international medical graduates, or IMGs. International medical graduates are those physicians who have immigrated to Canada and uh, have been trained elsewhere. Dr. Neil Farouchan worked as an anesthesiologist in Iran for 13 years before immigrating to B.C., where he worked for several years at Vancouver General Hospital. Like so many, he's taken the required exams here, but has failed to find a residency position necessary in getting a license to practice. They are asking the government to allow them to help and assist with the current situation, and they are even saying that they are willing to help uh, with no pay. The College of Physicians and Surgeons' response to their request? At this point, the recruitment measures taken to date have been sufficient. Recruiting IMGs who have never been registered in the province is not being considered. And so they have launched a petition on change.org. Over 10,000 have signed it so far. This is a good time to sit down and say, okay, we haven't tackled this problem. We've wasted all those people's talents, and now we could use them. Linda Aylesworth, Global News. Add another lifestyle change for British Columbians due to the COVID-19 pandemic. Farmers markets, the ones that are still operating anyway, will be a lot smaller. Provincial Health Officer Dr. Bonnie Henry announced today farmers markets will now only be allowed to sell food. All other non-food products will be prohibited. This is recognition of how important it is for us to be able to access locally grown and produced food and the farmers markets are an important part of that. Um, But we don't want them to be areas where people are going and um, mingling in large groups because of the risk right now that that entails. I will recognize though that the Ministry of Agriculture is working with the BC Association of Farmers Markets to make sure that we can um, have online um, models for farmers markets. Right, meteorologist Christy Gordon is in North Vancouver once again, where it was a wet day, Christy. It was a wet day. We went for a walk and we jumped in puddles. That was the only way that we could sort of release a little bit of energy uh, despite a hockey game inside, believe it or not. All right. So I had a lot of people emailing me photos of rainbows, believe it or not, saying that these rainbows are giving them a bit of hope that eventually this will all be over. So here are some of those rainbows of hope. This one from Nanus Bay, Mike Yip sending us that one. Uh, One from Little Fort. Thank you to Kathy and Ed. And another one from our own Richard Lee works for us at Global and he is um, uh, working from home and this is his daughter drinking in a little hope. All right, uh, snow squall warning in place for BC Peace River South you can expect potentially isolated amounts up to 30 centimeters of snow that includes uh, the Highway 97 Pine Pass regions across the south we will see also adverse winter driving just on the tops of the mountain passes but certainly you can expect snowfall there up to 30 centimeters of snow expected through the weekend. So here's your forecast for tomorrow, everyone. Periods of rain changing over to snow for most regions other than the BC Peace River area. We will see drier conditions in through the Okanagan Valley. Majority of the moisture will be on along the mountains. Rainfall for our region, and we will see that ease off to just a chance of showers on Sunday, thankfully. Here's your weather window for tonight. This is Puff Daddy, the snow dragon. Uh, Kale and Sarah took four hours creating this. What a way to use up a little bit of time, and they had a ton of snow in through the caribou region today back to you guys can't forget it's winter in other parts of the province for sure that's right christy
All right, Squire is here now with a look at sports and uh, some fun stuff, too. Well, sports is also fun, of course. Well, usually, yes. <laughs> uh, Squire joins us now with sports, sort of like being reunited in the NHL, but not quite. Not quite. Well, the NHL thought, let's gather some of the captains together so people can see them and discuss some items with them. So they gathered captains today from the Pacific Division, like Mark Giordano of Calgary, Connor McDavid of Edmonton, and Bo Horvat of the Canucks. And the question was, or at least one of the questions was, if the NHL comes back, should it finish the regular season first or go right to the playoffs? I was just going to say, yeah, either go by points percentage or start, or, you know, play some more regular season games. Um, you know, obviously, you know, to, to make it completely fair, you'd want to play regular season games and, and have, you know, um, more games, uh, you know, to get in. And But if we're going to start playoffs right away, then obviously, <laughs> sorry, Gio, but you want to, I don't know if you guys would be in or not, but um Definitely by percentage, and I think uh, that would put us in. But um, you know, it's uh, it's it's tough to make that call. That's for sure. You can't you can't eliminate teams who are out on points percentage or stuff like that. You, I think you you go twelve and twelve, and more teams get in this year. Maybe a couple buys at the top and and uh, play it out. You know, if if we can get back to playing, I think it could be some of the best uh, the best playoffs you've ever seen, where you know everyone's healthy, everyone's uh, rested, and. Um, you know, it could be real exciting hockey. When you see Bo Horvat, you can see how big that man is up top. Uh, one day in the Paralympics, you may see boxing. And if you do, one of Canada's boxers could be Vancouver's Leo Samarelli, an advocate for the sport and someone whose story is truly, truly a remarkable comeback story. Leo Samarelli has always been a fighter. He was a fighter standing up, and he is a fighter sitting down. Boxing, I, I feel, has, has kept me going. Um, physically and you know, emotionally dealing with having to be in, in a wheelchair and a paraplegic. Samarelli became a paraplegic because he was a victim of a shooting in 2017. I was shot outside of my house in uh, North Vancouver. Um, twice in the abdomen, once in the rib, and once in the back. And uh, the back bullet obviously paralyzed me. It was the moment that took Leo off the wrong path. Back, you know, um, when, when all this happened, I was, I was uh, partying and doing, doing uh, you know, not, not really in the right crowd, right? In order to recover and rebuild his life, Leo fell back on his instincts as a fighter. When something like this, such a big life-changing um, event happens like this, there's two choices. It's either you, you can rise or fall. So Leo got off the canvas and back into the ring, taking up adaptive boxing, a relatively new sport for wheelchair athletes. Like cable body boxing, um, amateurs, there's going to be rules and everything in line to make sure that the athletes are safe. Um, but if you look at a sport like uh, murder ball, rugby, you know, you watch those guys, those guys are smashing into each other and, you know, people are going to the ground or something like basketball, you know, there, there's, you know, there's contact sports all there. So we're going to take the necessary, necessary precautions to make sure everything, everyone is, is able to do this. The person who shot Leo has yet to be caught. 
So that means he has to get his own form of redemption. The way I live, I say uh, the best revenge is success. And I'll continue on doing what I'm doing and succeeding in life and um, helping out also the community that gave back to me. Whether it's for boxing or talking to kids at schools like I do now or, or any other way. Well, guys, somehow we all made it onto the essential services list, at least according to the province. It's a responsibility we don't take lightly. We know it's important, but there are others out there doing much, much more important work right now. Well, Squire is definitely, of the four of us, he's the most essential, (laughs) I think. (laughs) Not compared to these people. Not compared to these people, of course. All right, thank you for all the emails that you've sent us nominating BC healthcare heroes. At the end of every news hour, we are honoring the sacrifices they are making right now during the COVID-19 pandemic. And tonight we're thanking the frontline heroes in the emergency department at Richmond Hospital. The doctors and the nurses there are working tirelessly And as you can see in this photo, they're also doing their best to keep their physical distance whenever possible. They get applause for that because the next couple of weeks are critical. Uh, To all of them, thank you very much. We want to nominate a B. If you want to nominate a BC Healthcare Hero, email us at bchealthcareheroes at globalnews.ca. I think satellite debris is kind of essential at this time. I agree. We need a laugh and we need to distract ourselves a little bit, Squire. Well, we thought we would do this. Instead of the usual thing where we have like crazy videos or commercials from around the world, we thought we'd go and find people who have been doing things while quarantined or social distancing. So first off, former Vancouver Giant, current Montreal Canadian, lives in Tawasson. Brendan Gallagher does an entire scene from Brooklyn Nine-Nine, the TV show, by himself. Watch. Number one, could you please sing the opening to I Want It That Way? Really? Okay. You are my fire. Number two, keep it going. The one desire. Number three, believe when I say. Number four, I want it that way. Tell me why. Ain't nothing but a heartache. Tell me why. Ain't nothing but a mistake. Now number five. I never want to hear you say. Woo! I want it that way. Oh, chills. Literal chills. It was number five. Number five killed my brother. Oh, my God. I forgot about that part. (laughs) (laughs) Very nice. Okay. Uh, so good. uh, uh, Dance number, Neil Diamond, and only a short bit of the 12 Days of Quarantine song. Here we go. On the first day of quarantine, my governor gave to me The schools closed indefinitely On the second day of quarantine, my grocer gave to me no toilet paper and the schools closed indefinitely. On the third day of quarantine, my Congress gave to me three useless emails, no toilet paper and the schools closed indefinitely. Hands, washing hands, 
reaching out Don't touch me I won't touch you Sweet Caroline Good times never seem so good Can you do that? Dad, people need you. They need you, Dad. I just don't know, guys. We believe in you. You're right. I can do this. <laughs> and last, if you're quarantining your home, and you have America's horse with no name, and you have the right length of hair, and you have somebody in the house who has a nice cowboy hat, you can do this too. It all comes to Creativity out there. See, you can do things when you're quarantined in your house. You know what? With humor like that, we will get through this. We'll make it through, <laughs> no doubt. Thanks again to all the healthcare workers and first responders who are working on our behalf out there. Thanks very much. Have a great weekend, everybody. Good night, all.